Uh, James is going to come to um, share something with us based on a passage from 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read that now. If you want to follow that with me, feel free. Uh, It's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In my Bible, or in James's Bible, it's page 1,962. I don't know whether that helps anyone. No? Oh. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to go through, we're going to cross the boundary into chapter 3, and finish with the end of verse 6. And guess what? It's Paul writing to the Corinthians for the second time. When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ... The Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. But I had no peace of mind, because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. But thank God, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Um, forgive me for, forgive the writer of the New Living Translation for the word hucksters, which is going to appear in the next verse. You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you, yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Thank you, Mark. That's great. Well, good morning. Um, This morning, uh, as Mark said, we're, we're carrying on our uh, series of relying on God. That's what we've been covering over the past few weeks. Uh, and the title of today that I've been given is uh, Justification. 
that's the title that I've been, been given to talk on. Uh, but before we get on to that, let me just explain a little bit of background uh, to the passage that we've just, we've just heard from Mark. Two weeks ago, Sue spoke on direction, uh, and she did a really good job of uh, explaining the background of, of 2 Corinthians and, and the things that were going on. So I'm not going to particularly allude much further than that. Um, but just to explain that this word hucksters that, uh, that Mark uh, brought up, it's talking about false teachers. These false teachers were coming into the church. So as Sue was saying, that rather than the church influencing the city of Corinth, the, the city of Corinth was starting to infiltrate and, and influence the direction of the church. And these false teachers were coming in and they were interested purely in personal profit and personal gain. Uh, and they were doing all this false teaching and sowing plenty of seeds of doubt into uh, the people in the church in Corinth. And they were, they were teaching things that were contradictory to what Paul had been teaching the church. And so the, the church started to doubt Paul's teachings and started to doubt Paul's position as an apostle and doubt his co-workers as well. And so the passage that we've heard Mark read this morning is about uh, Paul starting to defend his ministry and the ministry of his, his colleagues, Titus and, and other people. He's starting to defend his, his position um, as an apostle for Jesus. Uh, and so that's, that's the context which we look at it. But, but what about this justification thing? What is justification? What are we looking at this morning? There's actually two definitions of justification, and, and we'll come on to the second one a little bit later. But the first is that justification is the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. It's the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. But what is it? It's not even mentioned in the passage that we're looking at. You didn't hear the word justification mentioned once when Mark, when Mark read it. So what is it? Well, first of all, let me just explain a little bit about what it isn't. Okay? Um, let me lay out a scenario for you. I don't know whether you'll be able to relate to this at all. Um, but perhaps you're, you're in your workplace or, I don't know, you're in a social gathering of people. But you're hanging around with people who, who aren't Christians, who don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you get into a conversation with someone there, and they start talking. You start talking about, I don't know, church or your faith or Jesus. You get you get into a conversation, and you start to get a bit excited about this. You think, oh, this is this is really good. And you say to God in your head, you say, God, you just you just sit back and relax. This you leave this to me. Uh, this is an amazing evangelistic opportunity. By the time I'm finished with this conversation, this person is going to be a Christian. They are they are going to give their life to you. Just you just watch. But 10 minutes later, your head is in your hands, your palms are sweaty. How could it have gone so wrong? You have, you have gone from being quite amicable with this person to now arguing with this person about what you believe and what, what they believe. And you ask yourself the question, how could it have gone so wrong? You know, I've, I've given them a condensed history of the world I've explained the contents of the 66 books of the Bible within five minutes. I've, you know, mentioned about fire and brimstone and that they'll be going to hell about five times. You know, what, why haven't they become a Christian? You know, this, 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 is, this is ridiculous, you know. This is how they do it professionally. Why, why, why are they not becoming a Christian? Justification is not about arguing someone to faith. It's not about twisting someone's arm so that they become a Christian. Because people don't become Christians 
because they're argued into it or coerced into it. People become Christians because they meet with Jesus, because they have a relationship with Jesus or come to Jesus and, and, and have that experience. So justification isn't about us twisting their arm or persuading them to do that. So what is it? What is justification? Uh, I want to read this this verse from 1 Peter 3. It's verse 15. I think it sums up in a nutshell really nicely what, what I'm trying to say. It says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain. Some translations say, always be ready to give a reason. And that is what justification is about. Justification is about us being willing and ready to give a reason for what we believe in and for give a reason for why we have faith in Jesus. It's about us giving a reason, not arguing someone else to why they're wrong. In other words, it's about representing Jesus to other people. And Paul doesn't mention, as I said, the word justification in this passage, but he mentions an awful lot about representing Jesus, us representing Jesus to other people, or him representing Jesus to the church in Corinth. So we're going to have a look at what does Paul teach us about representing Jesus to other people, justifying our faith to other people. And the first thing he teaches us is that representing Jesus causes reaction. Representing Jesus causes reaction. I want to just reread a couple of verses. Uh, Follow me if you you want to. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 14 through to 16, that's what it says. But thank God he has made us his captives And continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But the fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Paul uh, uses this analogy, which was actually based um, when the Romans, when a Roman general would, would conquer a place or conquer a people, he would do this triumphal procession, this pres- uh, um, sort of parade, if you will, and he would burn incense, and he would parade his uh, spoils of, of the victory, and, and often that would include captives of that land or people or place. Um, and, and so he would burn this incense, and, and this incense would fall on everyone who was there, and you know, the, as you, you know, like a bonfire, the smell would get into you and who, you know, whoever was there. And the smell would represent different things to the different people. To the Romans, it meant conquest and security and victory and strength. But to the people who had been captured or were facing captivity, it meant something else entirely. It meant uh, doom and death and, and destruction for them. Um, it wasn't positive. And so Paul's using this analogy and saying that Jesus is, is triumphant. He's, he's won the victory for us. And he's leading the way for us. And we're part of his procession. Uh, and he's, he's, he's burning this incense. And he's, he's making this smell that falls on all of us. And, and then we're instructed as Christians to go out and represent Jesus to other people. But the people who meet us as we represent Jesus respond, respond differently to the way to, to, to the fact that we're representing Jesus. I was thinking about this this morning and, and realizing that uh, in, in our day and age, and particularly in this country, there's a culture developing of, of 
social etiquette of the way we should speak to one another. I don't know whether you've experienced this, but I, I thought it would be really good if, if someone could write you know, a set of rules for how, you know, in the world, we're, we're meant to speak to other people. Not Christians, I mean generally. You know, how do people expect other people to communicate with one another? So I thought, I'll do the government a favor, and I'll write some rules for them of how, how we should uh, you know, communicate. What, what are the rules of engagement when we're having a conversation with one another? What would, what would the world say we, we should do? And this is, these are the rules that I've come up with. So I've got six rules for you. Okay? So rule number one is you can believe whatever you want to believe. Okay? Rule number two, I can believe whatever I want to believe. Nothing too controversial so far. Number three, we must never talk about what we believe. Number four, we must never challenge what the other person believes. Number five, we must never suggest that our faith or belief is the only true faith or belief. Number six, the status quo must always be maintained. I've, I've worked in environments where this is true. It is not acceptable to be different. It's not acceptable to do something that challenges other people, to believe something and to express that belief to other people. And it's a world that I think our children are growing up in as well, that socially it's not acceptable. But what happens if someone comes along and says, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, or I believe that Jesus is the only way to having a relationship with God, or I believe that Jesus died for all of our sins, or I believe that he is alive and reigning today. The reaction is division. The reaction is different from the people you meet. But there is a reaction there. There is a reaction. And Paul says that people will react. We heard about Daniel, uh, and, and Daniel chapter 6 is where the story of Daniel and the lion's den is in the Old Testament. And I, I recommend you go and read it. But, but this pattern happens over and over again in the Bible. And Daniel, it happens to Daniel where... King Darius is really pleased with the way that Daniel is working and really impressed with how, um, how he's working. And God has shown him great favor in his work. But his colleagues, Daniel's colleagues, want him dead. They want to kill him. That's the extremes of, of Daniel standing for what he believes in. Happened to Jesus as well, didn't it? Jesus had many followers, people who believed that he was, he was the Messiah and that he'd come to save them. But there was an awfully big crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, in front of Pontius Pilate. He caused division. There were people who followed him, but there are people who wanted to kill him. There's this nasty pattern emerging, which um, we shouldn't be surprised when we represent Jesus and people. People are divided. There's division there. Jesus is responded to differently to different people. And I wanted to say this morning that we don't need to feel guilty when people don't respond positively to Jesus. And I can't really take credit for, for this next bit. This was something, that conversation with Graham that I had a couple of weeks ago. Graham's looking slightly worried now. He doesn't really know what I'm going to say. And, you know, it's a bit risky. But, no, um, we were talking about what is the responsibility of, a, of someone who's a Christian. And, and we explained that it's our job to be hospitable, to be welcoming. It's our job to be honest about what we believe in. It's our job to live what we've teached and what we preach. It's our job to talk about Jesus and be faithful witnesses to it. But critically, it's not our job to make people Christians. It's not our job to convert people. 
that's between them and, and, and Jesus. That's between them and God. Um, so we need to be released from that guilt. We need to represent Jesus. And Jesus, representing Jesus causes a reaction for people. But we don't need to feel guilty when they react poorly. That isn't our responsibility. The second thing I, I want to pull from what Paul, Paul's teaching is that representing Jesus is better done together. Representing Jesus is better done together. And again, I just want to read another extract uh, from chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 3. And he says this. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation? Or who ask to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is, not written, is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. I want to read to you a, a quote from uh, a guy called Charlie Mackesy. Um, he's a guy who's on the leadership team of a church in London called HTB. It's a big uh, uh, Church of England church in London. Um, and I was listening to this, this sermon that he was preaching about a month ago now. Um, and, and he said this towards the end of what he was, what he was speaking about. And he was speaking about God's love. Uh, and he said this, and I sat up and I just thought, he's got something there. And I wanted to share it with you this morning. And this is what he said. I've given you a monologue of one human standing here presenting something. It's a poor reflection of faith. The real reflection of faith is two people, three people, four people, chatting, embracing, listening, talking. That's it. Christianity is not this monologue thing. And I listened to that and I thought, he's right. It's not about someone standing here or standing there and, and that being Christianity and that being the perfect reflection of faith. It isn't. I am a poor reflection of faith. I am a poor reflection of faith on my own. We are a body and as our faith works together, it's so much more potent to people looking in. As our body works together, it's so much more powerful. What do most people say when they come to this church who are visitors or uh, who come for the first time? They don't say, they don't rave about the teaching. They don't rave about the worship band or the sound system or the coffee. They mention the welcome that they receive. They mention the hospitality that they receive. They mention the warmth and the feel of the place, which is the body, the people who, who are there that, that make that feeling. I had the privilege uh, about a month ago of uh, speaking to uh, a guy who was looking into Christianity, looking into what is this Jesus thing, what, what's it about? And I got an opportunity to have a, 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 a chat with him and we were talking and I was challenging him on some things, some things to think about. And I asked him a question, well, why are you looking into it? What, why are you looking into this Jesus thing? What's that about? And he said, well, I've seen people, I'm paraphrasing now, but I've seen people, Christians, living together, working together. I've seen them at my university. I've seen them in, in family units. And they're different from the family and the friends that I have experienced. They live 
differently in their lives. They stand out differently in their lives. Um, that guy went on to become a Christian the next day, which is really good news. But the point is the power of him seeing Christians as a body was really influential in him making a decision to make a personal commitment to Jesus, to, to come to know Jesus. The way we live our lives as a group of Christians stands out to this world, and we should invest in it. Our body is uh, Jesus' letter of recommendation to this world. The world looks at the Christian church and should see how should we do life. Like Christians should be leading the way of how to live life to the full. They should see that through our church. They should see that through the way we spend time together as a body. That's why we encourage small groups here and midweek groups and spending time together as prayer triplets and meeting together to, to have meals together. That's why we're uh, putting on the rugby event so that people can come in and see us as a body. It's not about someone standing up here on their own. It's about us as a body representing Jesus, justifying our faith together. Representing Jesus is done better together. And finally, the, the final point I want to pull from Paul's teachings is, is presented more of a question. And Paul presents this question a bit earlier in the passage. He says, who is adequate? Who is adequate to represent Jesus? Do you ever feel inadequate to represent Jesus? Do you ever feel like your sin or your hurts, your baggage, your unforgiveness, your anger, your frustration? Do you ever feel like those things, they disqualify you from serving Jesus, from representing him to other people? Perhaps you feel a bit like Daniel in the lion's den, surrounded by these lions, trapped, trapped in this den, surrounded by these things that stop you from being free, stop you from being free to, to share Jesus to other people. You're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. I feel like that. Quite often I come to a place like that and I have to say, God, I need you to encourage me again. I need you to remind me of the truth of who I am now. Who I am now. You know, Paul, who was writing this letter, used to be Saul. And he used to persecute, persecute Christians. He used to go around hunting Christians, imprisoning them, killing them. I wonder whether Paul ever felt inadequate. I'm confident he probably did. I'm confident he probably did. We're not alone in that. But there is good news. There is good news at the end of what I have to say today about being adequate. The second definition of justification is justification is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. The action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. Relying on God, that's the series we're looking at. And the truth is that if we want to represent Jesus, we've first got to let Jesus represent us to God. Yeah? So again, if we want to represent Jesus, we need Jesus to represent us to God. And that's the good news of the Christian faith, isn't it? That even though we're not adequate, even though we miss the mark of the written law, Jesus meets the mark for us. And that we can live in Jesus' adequacy. We can live in Jesus' qualification. This is what Paul says about it. 
He says, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written law, but of the Spirit. The old written law, uh, written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The good news of Jesus, the good news of representing Jesus, the good news to us who do represent Jesus is that we can. Is that it's not about our adequacy. It's not about us being good enough. It's about that Jesus is adequate enough for us. I want to finish by, by praying for you. Um, and as I pray, before I do that, I want to read an extract from, from Psalm 34. Um, it's a psalm that David wrote, and I, uh, I want to I read it to you as a prayer. So um, when I read it, if we close our eyes, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray afterwards to close. But this is a psalm, this extract of a psalm is talking about God's, God's provision for us. And as we represent Jesus, as we go to represent Jesus to justify our faith, we need to rely on God's provision. So I'll, I'll read this over you and then, and then we'll pray. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joy is of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Jesus, thank you that it's not about our adequacy. It's not about our qualification. It's not about us uh, having everything in order before we come to serve you and represent you to other people. That Jesus, you paid the price so that we could represent you, so that we could tell people the, the good news of living under that truth, that you died for us, but you, you are alive and reigning and living for us now. Thank you that justification is about us living an honest life of our faith for you. It's not about making it up. It's not about saying we have more faith than we have or that we are more perfect than we are. It's about living as a group of people together in your kingdom and bringing that kingdom to the world so that they can see how to live life to the full. They can see that, uh, Jesus, it's, it's good to know you. We can be a, a letter of recommendation. And I pray that for our church this morning, for Bridgenorth Baptist Church, that you would make us into an incredible letter of recommendation for you, Jesus. That as we go out as a group of people together, united together, spending time with one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, that would be an example, Jesus, of what you can do for other people in this world as well. So I pray a blessing on everyone here as we go out to do that. Ask for your blessing and Holy Spirit, would you bless us now? In Jesus' name, amen.